engineers Simon Hawkes and Anthony Demanti, or Hawkes and AD to their mates, are on a journey down the river of water engineering. In this podcast series, Hawkes and AD share their inspiring conversations with a cross-section of people from the water industry and beyond. The conversations aim to motivate students and professionals alike to contribute to the growth of the engineering profession. So, without further ado, it's over to you lads. Hello listeners and welcome to episode 10 of The Good Drop with Hawks and AD, a water industry flavoured podcast. My name is Anthony Demanti and once again I'm joined by my co-host Simon Hawks. How's things Simon? Hey AD, very well thank you. Looking forward to another great show. Yes, I'm looking forward to today's guest as well. In preparation for our interviewee today, and I'm sure you'll agree that one of the best things about being involved in this podcast is it gives you an opportunity to reflect on your career journey and and learn from our guests where we can improve. Yeah, and probably not just career, but, you know, all aspects of life, you know, personal and professional. So, um, yeah, when we when we talked about today's guest coming on and um, some of the topics that it raised, it did get me thinking about the idea of improvement. And, uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. I know in episode seven, which was with our guest Sally Prosser, you mentioned in that uh, discussion about the importance of self-improvement and how you haven't been spending enough time on developing yourself and that sort of bothered you a little bit. And those words sort of have been resonating with me since then because I'm a bit like that as well. I, I probably think, oh, am I doing enough to improve myself? And so I'm, I'm really keen that our guest today is a bit of an expert in that. Yeah, um, I would probably, yeah, I, I think share that position in terms of I think you're always trying to sharpen the sword, you know, always put back into yourself to to do what you can to make yourself better. So without giving away any spoilers, I think you probably should just jump in and introduce today's guest. All right, let's do it. Obviously, today's guest is on self-improvement. And before I do go on, today's guest, I have to say to everyone listening, is that this person doesn't work in the water industry, and nor is he an engineer, but I just know that he is the master of self-improvement, and I definitely know he's going to motivate us on this subject. Today's guest is Noel Peters, who is a Tasmanian bricklayer by day and a 16 karate instructor and Kyoshi, or professor, by night. Now, for over 40 years, Noel has trained in Goju Ryu. I hope I've pronounced that correct, but that's one of the four traditional styles of karate, and, and Noel is Tasmania's karate master. So, listeners, how do I know Noel? Well, for those that know me, I love having a chat with people. It's obviously part of my upbringing, especially being part of the country, where it's quite natural to be polite and start up conversations with strangers. I first met Noel, and it's my only meeting with Noel before today, I suppose, was on a plane where I was travelling from Brisbane to Melbourne in May 2019. Now, I was heading to Melbourne to present at a water conference, which is a was Oz Water Conference, whereas Noel was on his way back to Tasmania with his brother. I had the aisle seat, and Noel had what we call the kangaroo seat in the middle. Now, my first impression of Noel was quite memorable. The first thoughts was... This guy is an absolute unit. He's not tall, but built like a you-know-what, stocky guy like Popeye. And he was wearing these small, round, gandy-type glasses 
and his hands were the strongest ones I've ever seen. And when I shook his hand, each finger was the size of an Italian sausage. I could just tell by shaking his hand that this guy had done some serious work in his life. And after that two-hour or so flight, and after talking karate and a little bit about wine, one of my key takeaways from talking with Noel was he told me about this Japanese word kaizen, which translates to continual improvement, which is a key component of karate learnings. And so that's how it's sort of, oh, self-improvement. Who can we talk to about learning more about it? So, Noel, it's great to have you on today's podcast. Simon, I'm so keen to hear about your learnings. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Anthony and Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. And I feel very humble to be here. So, thank you very much. A pleasure. So, Noel, I'll kick things off. Can you start by telling us about your early years growing up and um, what, when, why, or who got you started on your martial arts journey? Okay, that's a good question, Simon. I was raised by my grandparents. I grew up in a family of 11. Now, the reason I was raised by my grandparents is who I thought was my sister was my mother. And she got pregnant with me when she was 15. Back in the 60s, she was not seen as a relatively good person to raise a young child. So I was adopted by my grandparents. And my mother, my blood mother, was raised as my sister. I thought she was my sister until I was 14. So I was raised in a very large family, six boys, four girls plus me. And it was hard, obviously. Secondhand clothes, secondhand everything, secondhand bikes, you name it. But I had the most wonderful um, childhood. I was looked after. I was taught a lot by my brothers. But one thing I was never taught was the ability to look after myself because back where we grew up, it was a very working class uh, suburb or area and there was generally a lot of, I don't know what you would call it, trouble, you know, you could find a fight easy or get yourself into trouble back in the day. So I thought of one day I better, maybe I better look out, you know, look out for myself now. My big brothers aren't around to look after me anymore. So at about 14 years of age, I decided to join a judo class, which was at the local YMCA, about 500 metres from where I lived. I tried that for a year. One day I was reading the newspaper and there was an advertisement for Goju Ru Karate and it had a fist logo on it and that fist logo for some reason attracted me and I went along and I've never left. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I went along as a young fella and I've never left. So it was karma. I can't believe it. It was meant to be, yeah. A lifelong commitment, jeez. Yes. Yeah. I never thought it was going to be, though. I thought it was just learn a bit. Maybe I could... You know, hold my own and at least run away quick. Um, yeah. But no, it became probably the love of my life to an extent. Yeah. I think a lot of people fall into the the idea of you know self defence and and then find that the, the discipline involved with well, I guess that's why they call it a discipline. You know. Yeah. It's very much you know something that that you commit to and. You know, it becomes part of you. You're spot on, Simon. I think it's almost, if you don't mind me saying, it's almost like saying you learn to fight so you don't have to fight. Mm. And and I'm not six foot six or anything, but 
you overcome that by the constant demands placed on your mind and on your body that karate offers. And actually, it demands because if you don't have those strengths in t- inside you or develop those strengths, one thing about goju, it will spit you out. In other words, it it doesn't suffer fools easily. It'll only allow those people who are, you know, who are genuine to go the whole journey because you can't fake it. it. You know, after a while, you will be found out. You're always found out because um, at the end of the day, you have to look into the true self, you know, every day. And Goju has a funny way of making you do that. It really does. So that's why I think the average is about one in 1,500 students become a black belt. I think that's what it is. Yeah. All the rest drop out by the wayside. Yeah. Your family, your brothers and sisters, they weren't into the karate either or judo? No. It was just you. You you were the leader of this. Yes. I was attracted to this, especially once I saw David Carradine on on that TV show Kung Fu back in the 70s. (laughs) I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Great show. Master Poe. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So that's was the probably the trigger for it you know bit of action it sort of suited my mentality yeah searching mentality i think that's what it is yeah did you find yourself you know because of that situation you mentioned growing up with maybe trouble around you that there was a i guess motivation from fear or just that idea that well you know if i give myself the tools that at least i'll be able to potentially disarm situation without having to invoke violence, that type of thing? Yes. I think it was the latter. I wasn't really scared, but um, I I think it was more that I don't have brothers who are over six foot to look after me anymore. I have to look after myself. And that's what started that journey, definitely. It wasn't anyone – look, I was too young to be looking for the the spiritual side of Goju. You know, I was too young. I didn't understand that as a 13, 14-year-old. I just went, I wanted to learn how to protect myself, really. Not hurt anyone else, but just how Mm. to protect myself, especially being rather small. I'm not six foot six, as I said earlier. But you're right, that's what it was like. It was definitely to go and learn some self-defence, to give myself a chance to survive, you know. And I'm sure you can defend yourself now. I suppose um, when we met on that plane, you said to me you did karate, but... When uh, when I tried to track you down to try and give you a bottle of wine and I stumbled across, you're just not a karate person. You're a professor of karate. I was like, he didn't let anything on. And um, I, I suppose to our listeners, Noel has just recently obtained the Kiyoshi rank, which is what I understand, expert teacher or professor. Tell us about that journey. Did you always think you would get there? No, that that's a good question too. Anthony, I, you never train to grade. That's the thing. And something like a Kyoshi rank is something that takes 40 to 50 years to accumulate anyway. So it's very difficult to have that in your mind. I'm going to keep doing this. You know, and it's really one small step because I think what happens, it's like life. If you live it, it sort of things happen and it happens rather quickly. So if I look back now, I feel like that 45 years of training has gone, wow, where did that go to? But when you live it, it's a, it's a lot slower and you don't realise. But basically to answer your question, you don't ever think of grading. You just train because you want to train. 
and the rewards are given to you. So the difference in is in our style, you don't ask to grade, you get graded, you know, you get promoted by what you do and what you've done. You don't ask, you never ask, because if you ask, you won't be graded. It's mm-hmm. that simple. So sometimes it's been 12 years between gradings. Sometimes it's been 10, sometimes five. It just depends. When they think you're ready, you get promoted. Pretty much that's it. I can't remember every single piece of advice you gave me, but one that really resonated with me was about Kaizen. Uh, In preparation for this meeting with you, I've got a little bit of a refresher and thought about Kaizen and what it means to me. And I have a saying that I think about and try and live my life to, and it's it's actually a a Sicilian phrase as well. It, It goes... La gotcha a gotcha si scava la roccia, which means drop by drop, the rock is eroded. And I tell that to Simon, and Simon's come back to me just recently and said, oh, you know, that's Kaizen. And I'm like, it is. And I'm like, I think you're right, Simon. I didn't even know I was going with the Kaizen until I stopped and reflected. So my next question to you is, tell us about Kaizen from your point of view, what it means to you, and how it influences your life. Okay. Kaizen, obviously translates as continual improvement, right? And it's very interesting that Kaizen has been adopted by the Toyota Motor Corporation. Their whole concept of running that business is Kaizen, continual improvement on all the models. And you see it. You don't ever see them just rush and put an electric car out. They do it a little bit by little bit by little bit because they that way they can control the one percenters rather than have trying to control 50% improvement, right? Because life is about small change. Small change is measurable. We can all measure that today I started doing 50 sit-ups, next week I can do 55, but no one can go from 50 to 100. You have to gradually sneak up on it. That's the joy of Kaizen and the approach of Kaizen and the importance of it is that everyone then sees small improvements. They keep their confidence up. They keep coming back to whatever it is to enjoy it because they can see some improvement and and the important thing, change. Because you have to remember, guys, that all elite people in the world started out as ordinary people. No one was born elite. The only thing that changed was their mindset, their discipline, their purpose, their enthusiasm, that transcends normality. I have a favourite saying that no one told you to be ordinary. Why are you listening? Why are you listening to people saying, why do you need to be ordinary? I hate it when people say, oh, I'm happy. What do you mean? What are you happy about? You don't know what happiness is. One person's happiness is different to another. But if you just say, I'm happy, it tends to set you up to stay where you are instead of finding another happiness. So mm-hmm. there's different qualities of happiness, I believe, right? And yeah. they all come from that small improvement. It's very important. The Kaizen approach is so good because it means that every human being on the planet can adopt their approach to whatever they do, be it physical, be it schoolwork, be it just in family life, relationships. You make small improvements, you're going to get there. You make big improvements, you'll go well, and then you'll drop off the tree. That's just like people who lose weight. 
in their New Year's resolution. I'm not. I'm going to give up drinking, and all of a sudden they stop for three months, and then they're back. Next time you see them, they're back drinking. But if you gradually ease off the drinking, you might have a better chance of success because it it can be measured. You see, measured quickly by your mind and how you feel. Because a lot of this stuff is all about confidence, self confidence, and self improvement. It really is. Mm, I think that fooling your brain into the change of habit it's much more noticeable obviously when you're trying to make that big step change of course and uh stop something cold turkey or go from doing no exercise to five days a week for an hour there's yes there's always that yeah like you say uh probably a a new year's resolution factor that goes wrong when you try and make that substantial change yeah you're spot on guys and and what what i find myself is that if I didn't have small continual improvement, I don't think I could have improved to get to the level I've got to. And and also, I think if you have more small continual improvement or Kaizen, you'll tend to stick at things. Because the problem we've got in, in our society now, we have a whole range of people who don't keep their job. They jump from job to job. They're never really masters at anything. They all know a little bit about everything, but they don't know anything about nothing really nothing you could sit down and say teach me because i have a saying myself you don't know anything until you can teach it mm. right and it's common sense how could you mm. know anything unless you can teach it and this idea of just small continual improvement provides you with the energy to keep going it, it's it should be a national sport Kaizen should be a national sport in this country. <laughs> like tax evasion, it should be a national sport, right? <laughs> and you, you have no idea, guys. It's just about world-class self-discipline. That's what it is. The word discipline comes from the word disciple, okay? Yeah. So a disciple is someone you follow. But the best person to follow is oneself, self-discipline, self-disciple. And that's where Kaizen puts you on that path to continually you don't get a rush. You just get this slow trickle effect. And the trickle effect means you don't get that, oh, like a sugar hit. You know what I mean? Like, because as you know, people who lose weight have this sugar hit. Oh, look at me. I'm in size eight clothes. Before you know it, that's all gone. They put the weight back on because they can't manage it. There's too much going on. Whereas you chip away, you can always get success. Always. Always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got there's... me going now. That's, that's <laughs> great words here, know. There's yeah. a lot wrapped up in that. Um, well, that. Listen to this, guys. Small, daily, seemingly insignificant improvements, when done consistently over time, yield amazing results. Simple. Simple as that. How do you think they come up with a COVID cure or a COVID vaccine? By chipping away at it. They don't say go bang the first time. There it is. It's, it's, it's a form of Kaizen. We must do this. We must do that. We've got to do that a thousand times to see if it works. That's Kaizen. That is Kaizen. Small improvements. One percenters mm. indeed. One percenters. And that's what the um, Sky, you know, the Tour de France team were going. That mm. was their motto, one percent. When they used to win all the time with Bradley Wiggins and that, if you can remember, we can all remember that. Now, mm. they used to have this motto, we've only got to be one percent better next year to win it again. It wasn't 50 percent better, one percent. And that's a form of Kaizen. It is exactly. They are onto it and they just call it something else. And you would have seen on their logos they had 1%, much like mm-hmm. the bikies, you know. The bikies have that 1%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, anyway, it's terrific, yeah. What I like most about it is making any change, you're forced to be honest with yourself. And Kaizen, I suppose, is is almost a a daily check-in to, you know, where, where it is something that you work at a little bit each day. You can't really escape standing in front of the mirror and and lying to yourself you can't pretend that you didn't do it that day no you're right and and also too simon you cannot improve unless you have retrospection right in other words look back at the end of the week and say what have i done wrong what have i done right this week what have i you know have i improved and be honest with yourself because it's those relentless process of What's the word the, of looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, yeah, I still haven't got that. I better not kid myself. Develop excellent daily habits, basically. That's what we need to do to, to understand Kaizen. It's really important. Yeah, in my reading up on the Kaizen, it's all about, for me, training your brain slowly so it gets in mm. these routines and these yes. patterns where you're just doing it automatically without thinking about it. It just yes. seems to... Uh, grow over the top of you like a moss growing slowly of if i can say mm-hmm. something that's like a that, good analogy mm-hmm. yes yeah. you know. that's it amazing subject it really is and it should be taught in schools because we are at a tipping point in this country we really are i know i don't want to get political but we are where <laughs> we've become well we've become entitled guys everyone's entitled when they want to run onto the footy field they want to be the best well you've got to do the work guys simple as that's that right yeah. you know it's simple as that, you know, so. Yeah. A little bit of a, a sidestep. I don't know where this one sits really in the overall context, but it's a little bit about self-belief. So we all experience down moments where, where we're probably feeling like we've not performed as we'd hoped and we've had periods where we've doubted our ability. How do you deal with it and what motivates you? Has there ever been a moment where you said, that's it, I've, I've had enough with karate? Yeah, many times. There's been many times when I've turned up back in the 80s to teach and one student's turned up. There's been many times when I've been very sick and I'm going, what am I doing here? There's many times when I've missed my children's birthdays because I'm at training and I'm going, what am I doing here? It's it's all those sacrifices, but the thing that keeps you going for me was I made the commitment. I made the commitment and I accepted the contract. In my mind, I accepted the contract to take over the teaching of the dojo once my instructor retired and that was it. It's called giri, obligation. I had an obligation and that Mm. Japanese concept of giri. So the obligation works like this, guys. Giri works on the principle that I was taught by my senior and I have an obligation to pass that on to somebody else. And I can't do that picking and choosing when I should go and teach and cancelling class because I might have to go to the movies tonight or go to a birthday. It's just the way it is. If I want to go to movies or go to birthday parties and do this and do that, go out for dinner, then I shouldn't have become a martial arts teacher because I need to be – people need to have consistent teachers. You can't jump around. When you jump around, you're looking for something, right? The teacher will find what you need to look for, you know. They will find it. They will understand you and help guide you on that way, on that path. And the path is called the do. In karate, mm. the word karate do, it's a path, 
a journey, okay? And that journey can lead you to places you never thought were possible. But the key point of it is, is consistency in training. You can't find the journey or the path if you only go once a month or when it suits you. You have to go. The, remember, the greatest thing, the things that go together are failure and success. You can't know success without failure, okay? And you don't really know what success is unless you fail. And what mm. I've found, the greatest piece in the world, people in the world have always failed to get the success. Always, always, mm. yes. Yeah, and done it hard, you know. So, yeah, it's like hearing those uh, entrepreneurial stories. They have always uh, failed oh. 99 times before that yeah. successful business. So, Noel, uh, just about that failing and the doubting your ability, when you've been in these stages, what's your thought process to get out of it? How have you gone about it? Okay, the, the thought process is like anything. Keep doing the fundamentals. Don't go to the fancy stuff go to the basics because you go to, I guess in computer talk would be go back what to the what do they call that when you you, you set your computer back to the normal restart <laughs> Rest, yeah restart it or reset or there is a, yeah there's a technical word for it and I just slipped my mind for the moment but default you go back to your default what you know go back to what you know so if you're having trouble you go back to the basics you start again. You just re-go, and that gives you the confidence then to push on because you you know the fundamentals. Whatever the fundamentals of your task or your abilities are, that's what you do. And then that gets you over that hump because everyone goes through the hump. Everyone hits the brick wall. Everyone has those times when, what am I doing? I want to give it up. But the, the strong people keep moving, keep doing it. And I always say to myself, all the serious training's done when no one's watching when you're not in the spotlight or when in the dark, basically, that's my word, in the dark. You do it alone. All the serious training is you do it alone. You do it in the dark. You do it when, like I remember training many times on Christmas Day mm -hmm. because I had to go to a camp on Boxing Day and I used I used to get do some extra work the day before I went to camp and the camps were for two weeks. Karate training, about 12 hours a day for two weeks. Yeah, they were pretty tough, pretty tough gigs, but they made you, they made you realise what this art was all about. But you've got to remember that you go to the fundamentals and then that gives you the confidence, yeah, I know where I'm at now. I'm back to a safe place. That, those fundamentals are the safe place and then you move on again from there. And it's just a hiccup. It's not the end of the world. Everyone has that. We're human beings at the end of the day and we all have that uh, anxiety and we're always doubting in our minds. Oh, am I doing this? Should I be here? I should be home with the family. The kids are missing out. But then also there's the other way. The kids aren't missing out because I'm becoming a better parent by doing what I do to give them a better life. So mm. Amazing. Noel, um, fear. We all have fear. And you come across to me as someone that looks fear in the eye and, and stares it down. Do you have any fears in your life? Um, apart from snakes, sharks, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, I do. We all do. Yeah, the, obviously the biggest fear you have is yourself more than anything. The biggest fear I had was that I could, you know, provide a roof over the head for my family. The biggest fear I had was 
was I ever good enough to do karate do, to do goju. The biggest fear I had was, you know, being a good father and being a good partner to my partner, Shelley. It's all those things everyone faces. We're no different, you know. Fear, you just control the fear. That's it. You deal with it. It's always there. Yeah, I, I think we all have fear, and it's good because it's like I was saying before, to know fear is the opposite of confidence to an extent. So you can't know one without the other. I can't talk confidently about success without failing. You know, otherwise I'm just I'm doing a Donald Trump. I'm just talking for the sake of it. But I hope that everything I ever speak about, I've seen the opposite of it. You know, I've had those days where I had no money, I had nothing, just a slog. I've had those days when I thought I'd never be any good at martial arts. But what makes the success better is that you've lived that hard style. You know, you've lived it. I have, in in the karate, I have come up against bigger guys who hurt you. They do kick you around. But you've got to pick yourself up and keep going. And it doesn't mean I wasn't scared of them. It just means I'm not going to give up. It is important that you know the parallels, you know, that success and failure are one of the same. They're two sides of the same coin. You have to know one before you can learn about the other. It's very important, guys, really important. So fear and confidence are hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand what confidence is unless you understand nervousness and fear, you know. For sure. That's right. There's no greater motivator than the fear of failure. Exactly. Exactly. What a great one, Simon. You mentioned um, dough and kind of connects to the next question I had because it contains the word dojo. So I presume there's some connection in, in dough oh, and dojo. But um, There is. You've converted a church into a dojo. How, yes. how does that rank on your, your, your list of achievements to date? Uh, that was one of my dreams, to have my own place. We'd been renting halls for 40 years, and I couldn't imagine. It's like renting a house, isn't it? I couldn't mm. imagine. I could have bought five dojos in all those that time, the amount of rent I've paid. Mm. But I, I, we, I actually got sick of having to put up with um, other customers being late leaving the venue so we could start or leaving mm. a mess so we could start. So I was in a good place. I found a church that was up for sale. And, um, yeah, we bought it and turned that into our little humble dojo, which is not, you know, 10 minutes from where I live. So it's very happy. And the dojo translates, do is the way, a joe is a place. So the dojo is a place where you study the way. So mm -hmm. that's what that's where the word dojo comes from. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that Japanese translation, yeah. So, you know, your dojo can be anywhere, really. If, if you're a paddler and you're on the water, the dojo is your is the river or the ocean. It's a place where you do your thing, and that, that's a really important. So you find your way there, okay? And generally, you need a teacher. Generally, yeah. <laughs> and your dojo <laughs> is your legacy. Uh, yeah, it must I think feel I'd, special. It does. To finally, after all these years, to have your own dojo, it's fantastic. It's a quite humble, serene place where. The requirements are, we have a sign at the door, By when you enter this dojo, you agree to give your best, not make excuses, to try and help people, to learn every night, something every night, 
and leave the place better than when you entered. That's our contract we have with the students there every night. And it is a great, it's a great thing, yeah. Because everyone has to have a home where they do their thing, you know. It's a place. Yeah. yeah. I like those words. Those words should be in every office and every home. Or... Yeah. Do your best for the amount of time you're there. Don't try and hide because there is you cannot hide in a dojo. You know, you cannot hide. And the true you will be found otherwise. As I was saying earlier, you must search for the best version of you. And some of us have 80 years to do that. Some of us only have 30 years, you know. I know a lot of friends of mine, guys, who have lived till 30, then you can just see they're just waiting to be buried at 80. You know, mm. and what I mean by that is they've, yep. they've got to a stage and they're not looking to improve. They're, they're, really? just, they're just in this dead zone, you know, the, the no-go yep. zone, you know, and, and it's so sad. And I try and talk to them, but I, it's very hard because they're friends, you know. Mm. What are you doing? What, why are you addicted to watching TV or gaming or whatever it is? You know, get out and smell the tree, smell the flowers, sorry. Get feel mm. the wind in your face. Put your shoulder into the strong northwesterly and let's see how far <laughs> you can go. But they don't want to do it. Oh, I'm fine. You know, I love what I do. You really? You really love what you do? You don't know what what else there is. How would you know what 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 other things are on offer? Because you're too frightened to get out and experience that. Yeah, that's it. The the fear of commitment and the fear of hard work, yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because we have become a society now where it's acceptable to just blend in. That's how they want you to. Everyone's just got to blend in. You can't yeah. be a tulip and just stick your head up for six months, you know. <laughs> Talking to you, Noel, just reminds me of another saying my uncle in Sicily said to me. He said that the term why not makes for an interesting life. And just that thought of giving everything a go and just not being yeah. content. Fantastic. That's a fantastic sailing, Anthony. I love that saying. Well, you can quote me, Noel. That's fine. (laughs) I will, if you don't mind, because I'm going to give you another Japanese one. Do or do not, there is no try, okay? (laughs) You've got to do it or you don't do it. You can't try. You just do it. Just do it. Made famous by Yoda. Yeah, that's it. Do or do not, there is no try. We only have one life, Anthony. There's not a spare in the boot. I'll give you the tip. There is not a spare in the boot. (laughs) I have another question. And again, going back to meeting you, I remember you talking to me about a book called The 5am Club, excuse me. Yes. And I have to apologise to you that I haven't read it. But can you tell our listeners about it and hopefully inspire me to pick it up and read it? Yes, it's a a great book. It's It's a book about getting up early, basically. Okay, the 5.30am club. Did you know, guys, that if you get up half an hour early every day, you will add seven and a half days to your life by the end of the year? Okay, now that's a week. That's a week that you can do things, you can go somewhere, you can listen to your favourite music for a week just by getting out of bed half an hour early every day. So imagine if you got out of bed half an hour earlier and went to bed half an hour later how much you can add to your life. So, you know, the life is there to be lived and, you know, to, I don't know, it's about if you don't live it, you're going going to miss out. You only have one crack at this. Anthony, in life, there are no practice matches. We don't get to have one go at it and then I'm going to come back next year and do it again. 
We get one shot at this, and the whole purpose of our life is to make sure we live for ourselves. So if I, like I was saying earlier, if I live the best version of me, the people around me are going to be able to feed off that as well, and I'm going to be able to help them better because I'm a good version of me. Whereas if I've got troubles, anxieties and issues like we all have, consistently being raised because I don't want to deal with it or work through it, then it's going to affect my family and the people are my friends and my workmates and everyone at karate. It's going to affect everyone. So it's really important that we try and live the best life that we can that we've been offered. We've been privileged giving this this life, however long it may be, and we can't waste a second, to be quite honest with you. And it doesn't mean you have to be outside doing push-ups. It just means surround yourself with lovely people, like-minded people, and remember you've only got one family. <laughs> you know, look after them. Mm. Give them the best experience they can have. That's really important to me, mm. okay? I don't know if that answered your question, but what was your what was your original question? No, it was just about the five AM club book and, yes. and what it meant. And yeah, I just yeah. remember you used, used to say to me, I get up and I go for a kayak and I do, yes. you know, yeah. I, I I just squeeze everything out of my life, and it was I just... do, and that that's what that's what that book's about. That the you know the best all the the real successful people get up early. They all do. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm successful, but all the rich people, the movers and shakers, they're up and about because they can't wait for the day to begin. They start the day themselves. You know, there's no rooster, cockadoo doing over the back fence. They get up and get on with it. Whereas the, the unsuccessful people lay into bed till lunchtime. You know, they want someone to do it for them. Yeah. And these guys are getting on with it. And, and the driving force of that 5.30 a.m. club book, it was a bit like the, um, you know, the, the All Blacks. It's about doing it. Do do your own things. Do things for yourself. Don't expect someone to do them for you. Be responsible for oneself. You you know the All Blacks clean the sheds after every game, don't you? You know they they do the showers as well. Do you know that? I'm I'm not much of a rugby person. Every game they play, they clean the sheds themselves. They don't have people. They don't let anyone else clean the sheds. They clean the sheds, whether they're in Australia, New Zealand, or or England. They also put their own luggage on the on the bus. They're on time. They clean the change rooms. They help. They they put their own jumpers in their bags. They don't have servants do that. And that creates good work ethic, you know, mm. and also keeps everyone on the same level. And yeah. I think that's just absolutely fantastic. You know, it really is. Yeah, that's, that's good. You don't see that from any professional sporting teams. No. And, again, that's that 5.30 a.m. club book. The, the book was amazing. It really is. It's an easy read. It's terrific. And I highly recommend it to anybody who wants to get a little bit more out of their life and get motivated to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely got to get one of those books. Your mentor, and I, again, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Hunchy, yes. Hunchy Tino Seberano. Yes, that's it. He's uh, obviously a special person to you being a mentor. Can you talk about your relationship with, with Tino and – where did it start and, yeah, where is it at now? Master Severano became a 10th Dan a couple of years ago. A 10th Dan? Go- yes, wow. in Goju. So he is, um, he's been my one and only teacher, apart from my first instructor here in Hobart, 
he's been my chief instructor all my karate life. And that's pretty rare because most people do move on. You know, after a while, they become, how can I put it? Yes, I'm a fifth Dan or a fourth Dan and I want to run my own show. So they leave. But I've stuck, everyone needs a teacher. That's my motto. Everyone needs a teacher, like a parent. So I've grown up with Hunchy Severano. I was a young fella when I started, obviously, 13 or 14 years of age, 13 and a half years of age or something. He's been there ever since, and he's still pottering away. He's just released a book last week about his life story. and Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's been incredible to me. He's, especially in the martial arts front, you know, teaching me to keep going and persevering and guiding me along and teaching me things that I never thought were possible. It's amazing, the wealth of knowledge he's got. He's been training for 60-something years. So, yeah, he, he's an incredible guy. He really is. And it just shows you the benefits of martial art. I reckon he'll live to 100 the way he's gone, you know. And, yeah, he, he's a good man. Yeah, Father Time isn't kind to those who stop. The secret is to keep moving. <laughs> they were. They were. And I think I, I may have spent more time with him than my own father if, if I balanced it out over all these years. I've spent a lot mm. of time with him, yeah, a lot of time. As as a student, of course, you know, learning and just – I used to travel to Melbourne every four weeks and spend, you know, a week with him and then come back home and then train, train, train and fly over. Yeah, it was a privilege. So, Noel, how many people have you mentored or men- – sorry, mentored, excuse me? Oh, I'm not sure, to be quite honest with you, Anthony. I, I don't ever ask because – I'm not on Facebook. I, I don't like to have photos of myself being taken. You know, we have a Facebook club, you know, account, but I very rarely get in the pictures. I just say it's for you guys, not for me. I mentor my students, but I don't know if they see me as their mentor because they are pretty used to me. They get used to me. So, but I also, one thing I do do, guys, is I make sure they know I'm a human being. I want them to know that I do swear occasionally and I am, I don't live this monk existence. You know, I do, I am a Westerner starting an Eastern martial art and I certainly have all the same faults and uh, faubles that normal people have. You know, we all get Mm. frustrated and angry and all the rest of that. So I make sure that I'm just like them because one of the traps in martial arts is Having people bow to you every day and calling you, you know, Kyoshi or what, Shian or whatever the title you, you have can become very, it's like a drug. You can get a big head. You understand? Mm-hmm. The next mm-hmm. thing you know, you start talking broken Japanese. Oh, hello, master. How are you? And, and before you know it, you've lost your way. So I make sure, <laughs> I hope I'm not something I'm not, and I make sure I let them know that I work for a living. This is not my main income. I do it because I love it and I do it because I want to pass the knowledge on. It's this senpai kohai thing, senior student relationship. So that builds that giri. I reckon they would have a lot more loyalty than being, you know, that obviously I'm their mentor, but I think they'd see the loyalty would be a, be a more stronger bond thing between us because I'm loyal to them and they're loyal to me. So we have this exchange happening all the time. There's the giving of the information and receiving it, you know, and I learn as much off, as off them as they learn off me because 
everyone, you wouldn't believe it. Even young children, 12 years of age, will teach you something that you thought, oh, I never thought of that. Wow. And that's the joy. That's just the joy, you know. And, and I don't know if many people do things that give them joy all the time. Find me something that can give you joy every day. I don't know if there is, exists. I really don't. I don't know. And you listeners, know? you should see the, the big smile on Noel as he's talking. You can see the joy yeah. as he's talking to us. He just loves <laughs> loves being part of uh, up-and-coming karate masters. Well, I do me. because I've got a couple of students now that, they started when they were nine and now they're 23 and they're still training with me. So they've gone from little kids where they've had to hold on to mum's hand to come in the dojo and now they're 23-year-olds, bigger than me, stronger than me, faster than me, and they're like your own children. You know, I mm, spend yeah. more time with them than probably their father has. You know, yeah. it's really it weird. It be very satisfying. Very it special. is. It's very satisfying. Yes, it is. So talking about your students, how do you motivate them and what do you say to a student who tells you that they can't? Ah, I, well, I just keep telling them I can't spell can't, okay? <laughs> <laughs> my, my answer to that one, Simon, is you will and I'll do it with you. We'll get there. It, may not, it might take a day, it might take a week, it might take a year, but we will get there and that's the key. I try not to give them something that they can't do I try not to give them something they can't understand, but if they do come up against that thing, they have to learn there is a way around it because it's too easy just to say, nah, put your hand up, I'm not doing it. So, yeah, I guide them through that. And that, again, is where you – that's where you get your respect from, doing things like that. You know, you don't demand it. You just establish a relationship and it builds between the two. So that's what I do, yeah. Mm. What about some words of wisdom to help us become better at finding or, or sticking to our oh, way? Well, there's so many. Well, the first one is you can't fire a cannon out of a canoe, okay? <laughs> so what we need, no matter what task we do in our life, be it work, school, home, or some sporting environment or activity, you need to have a solid foundation because the foundation is where you'd launch everything from. Okay, mm -hmm. then you need to, once you have the foundation, then you need to know with the knowledge I have, I need to fire it at something, someone or somewhere. It's really important to have a focus on where to put it. Okay, so your energy and your skill base and your knowledge needs to be fired in any of those three directions. And once you can start to understand that, then you do have a more, more of a purpose. You won't give up things. It's like um, there's meanings for what you're doing then. Otherwise, it can just seem like aimless. You know the word aimless? Things are aimless. Mm -hmm. Well, if you've got something to aim at, it can't be aimless anymore, can it? You know? But they need to be achievable aims. They can't be, uh, I'm going to be an Olympian. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But you've got a long way to get there. But let's just do it one step at a time. One percenters. That's it. Mm. How many one percenters in a hundred? 100%, 101%, that's it, you know, and so we might be able to do 10 a year and see how we go. But the key is not to be delusional, you know, that's the thing. I always tell the students the reality of things, okay? We learn martial arts not to hurt people but to build ourselves so that we foresee trouble coming and we go the other way, you know, mm. that sort of thing. You, you can sense things are going to go pear-shaped. Let's get out of here. Not stand there and be the next Bruce Lee. Because 
one thing I've learned in this world, there's always someone better. Okay. Mm. Always. Yeah. Yep. And and nowadays on the street, it's very dangerous, you know, very dangerous. Oh, yeah. So has that held you in good stead? Have you found that you've been able to steer clear of, of trouble and, and seen trouble approaching and been able to avoid a conflict? Yes, because you just set your senses. So your hearing, your sight, your touch, your smell to an extent. You, you, they all come together to create this awareness, okay? Some people might call it, you know, people have a certain, I don't know, aura. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I was walking with my hunchy back in the early 80s because um, he used to live in Melbourne and I used to go to train with him. And one day we're walking up Burke Street Mall. I don't, it's opposite, it's in where Myers and David Jones are, Burke Street mm -hmm. Mall, right? Yeah. And we're walking up there in peak hour, people going everywhere, thousands of people. I was walking beside him and for some reason everyone was getting out of his way. I can't believe it. <laughs> and, and I just looked back and thought, how did that happen? And nowadays, I can, it's an aura. He had an aura. People just moved. He didn't do anything. And just the way he carried himself, his presence, the way his face looks, you know, just a serene, confident look, and the way he walked, balanced. Everything has to be balanced for you to have that aura. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be in charge of oneself to express that, if for want of a better word. that That's often the difference between people who are, rock stars and some who aren't. It's not their ability to sing. It's just that aura they have that attracts people to them, you know? And and that's, yeah, that, that's one of those things that I'll never forget. So how's your aura coming along? Are you working I on your know. aura? I don't know. It's a work in progress. <laughs> I bet you have. No, I don't. I don't. I, I, but I must say, I haven't been in a fight for a long time, let me tell you. It's 40 years, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, but again, my aura is not what my master's is. He's is another level. Yeah. Mm. Very much so. Let's talk about what you do during the day, and that's a bricklaying job. Tell us how does this help your karate, or is it the other way around? Does your karate help your bricklaying? Which... Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, it's like this. Bricklaying is another brick in the wall, one brick at a time, isn't it? So I just see those bricks as just another little one percenter. I'll get mm. five in, then I'll put another five in, and before I know it, I've got 500 in the wall. And it's a very long, enduring process, bricklaying. It's not, not a quick process. One thing I like about it, 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 there's been no modern inventions that can help bricklaying. We're still doing it like it was the pyramids, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mortar yeah. down, brick on the mortar. Mortar mm -hmm. down, brick on the mortar, okay? So it's very similar to karate. Block, punch, block, punch, block, punch, kick, block, punch. It just repeats itself. And I just seem to be attracted to things that have this repetitive nature, but you need to do a lot of repetition to become good at it, you know, and I'm mm. attracted to that sort of thing. So in other words, it's like a zen feeling in my mind that when I do this bricklaying, I can zone out. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to concentrate. It's much like karate. You just do it. You don't think about it. You just do. Remember, do or do not, there is no try. Remember, I've told you already, guys. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So and bricklaying is like that 
you can't fire a cannon out of a canoe. All the brickwork has to have a good foundation for it to survive. I love that analogy. I just yeah. I didn't know I didn't know where you were going with it at the start, but that whole foundation just makes so much sense. It's critical, mate. You know, you know yourself, all all organizations need to have a strong foundation. All families need to have a strong foundation, otherwise they can, you know, uh, go their separate ways, sort of thing. So the stronger the foundation, the greater resistance you have to failure because there's always someone to fall back on for advice with that strong foundation. And brickworks like that. The stronger the the better the bricks are laid, the better they're held together, the, the more they can put their shoulder to the wind and protect the people in the house. And it's a really good it's a good place to be. I'm very lucky. I get to work outside in the cold, in the rain, <laughs> in the sun. <laughs> and, and I get to meet lovely people in that job as well. And the other thing, it's a complete opposite than the karate because people there couldn't care less what rank I am. I'm just Noel the bricklayer. And, and that's what's good about it. Keeps you level. It doesn't let you get that big head. But to answer that question quickly, karate helps the bricklaying, but bricklaying helps the karate. As I said before, we can't know success without failure and failure without success. So one, they're intertwined, okay? Good answer, Noel. Yeah, that's that's what I think. Yeah, and kudos to you, Noel, that you're still in the game because it is a physical and, and a hard labour kind of gig. And yeah. You see with a lot of trades where guys are just about done by the time they're 50 and they're off the tools. So I'm amazed you're still going strong. Oh, thank you, Simon. It's just luck. That's all. And Simon, as I said at the start of the interview, you see Noel's hands, you know they've done some serious work. <laughs> it's just something I was like, wow, this guy's got some power in those hands. I'm, I don't know how many bricks he would have no. laid, Noel, but I can see every bit of strength in those hands. Good <laughs> on, thank you, mate. Thank you. So we talked a lot about the journey and a little bit about the steps towards success but what does success look like for you like is do you have a goal is it to achieve a 10th dan or is there anything that's next no. on, on your journey look to be quite honest with you simon i have goals of course but i don't ever have goals of achieving rank that like i said earlier they'll just come mm. if they're meant to be they will mm. come mm. My main goal is to try and hand this club over to the next generation of martial artists in Hobart and Tassie that can take it to another level, you know, or they might have different ideas where they want to go with this. And that would be my main goal because then I'll be remembered for a long time. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, as in just a stepping stone, but that that's my main goal is to leave a legacy for the for the next generation of people. And I hope that if one more person on the planet can get some joy out of training at my dojo like I have, then my job will be done. Just one more person. Mm. And um, we're very lucky. I've got a lot, like I said before, a lot of young people who are very, very skillful and have got look like they're going to have a good future if they stick at it. So they, they'll be the ones that I'd like to hand it over to. Wonderful so words. It. All your students should be very lucky to have a, a mentor like yourself and a teacher like you. And, um, yeah, I wish you and, and your dojo so much success moving forward. Thanks. And I love your, your commitment to legacy too. It's so important to, that we all find our purpose in our way. Yes, yeah. I think it's important that we'll leave our mark on the world somehow, mm. you know, and again, it comes back to that thing. No one told you to be average. Why are you listening? 
you got to leave your mark on the world some way. Mm. Ignoring the naysayers is sometimes pretty hard. Yes, it is. And remember, you have to risk some things sometimes. You've got to risk. It's not all planned out. So I took a risk buying the dojo. The school itself doesn't fund the dojo. I have to, through my bricklaying business, you know, pay for that. But that's no problem. That's just the way it is. Got to give something back. Mm. All right. We're almost done with our main questions. I've got one more from my side. You love the water. You're a surf ski paddler. Yep. Can you tell us about how a bricklayer loves water? My love of water extends too. I also have a little shack at the beach. So that, that's one of my great joys of life too is go to the shack. My love of water, I just love the sound of the waves and I love the smell of the ocean, Anthony. Yeah, it's almost like because water can be hard and soft, that goju thing. You know, hard go is the word for hard, ju is the word for soft. So water can be hard and soft. It depends. If it's calm, it's very soft. If it's rough, it can be very hard. And I gather there might be a little bit of a connection through that, um, excuse me. And the water, just the sound and the smell of it, I can't get enough of it. And it's a lovely place to be. I think most Australians, that's why we all live on the coast for that very reason. We want to be near the water. And I just, I feel lucky to live in Tassie where we're surrounded by it. You know, you mainlanders are missing out. Really, <laughs> I'm impressed that you can swim down there. I've swum only as far south as, say, Torquay, and that was cold enough. But I, I understand it's a, another degree colder when you go down as, as far as oh, you are. So, hey, wetsuits are the order of the day down here in the winter, mate. In the summer, yeah, it's bet. not too bad. But every time you walk into the water here, you go, oh, and then it takes you a little bit to get used to it. But when I've been to Noosa and places like that, you can yeah. just run into the water. It's just like a bath. It's beautiful. There, that's right. Yeah. 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 We are spoiled up here. <laughs> we are. Don't worry. We, we are too, in the cold. Simon, any more yeah. questions for Noel before the Fabulous Five? Well, you may have touched on it, but I was just going to ask outside of Bricks and Karate, how else did you unwind? But it sounds like... You've mentioned uh, surf ski paddling. Uh, is there any other? Oh, uh, well, seeing as that you are, Simon, if you want me to tell you the truth, I will. I'm a mad collector. I'm a, I'm a guitar player. I have a wonderful collection of guitars. I ride mountain bikes. Yeah, I love riding mountain bikes with my friends. And I have a wonderful record collection. I love music. That's my thing. Yeah. So I collect Tonka trucks, believe it or not. <laughs> old, old circus posters, you wouldn't believe that. And, yeah, I just have a wonderful collection of guitars as well because I love playing them. And every guitar is like an, its own little village. You know, each guitar has its own aura. Yeah, they're not all the same. So on the idea of collections and spaces, there's obviously finite. So... Yeah. Do you have to make any hard decisions sometimes where you want to add another guitar to the fold, but it means that you have to give one up? I don't sell my guitars at the moment. I collect them. So I have a guitar room, which the little lady, is that another one, Noel? No, I don't. I've had that 10 years. <laughs> I know <laughs> so exactly they, what you're saying, Noel. You know, we all know. Every yep. guy knows that. Like the CD collection. <laughs> Why is it getting bigger? I have a room for the guitars. All my collection, because I have a shack, so a lot of the collection's at the shack as well. So I'm able to spread it between two places where I live. I have several shipping containers full of bits and pieces. <laughs> wow. As well, yeah. 
but they're not here. They're at the dojo, which is on five acres. So, yeah, I have a, a – yeah, there's a fair bit going on, believe me, okay? A fair bit going on. I've even got the instructions in the will where, where they've all got to go to when I, if wow. I don't make it, yeah. So. so how many guitars do you have? Uh, very humbly, about 40. Yeah, okay. Only That's... 40. Some yeah. of the serious collectors wow. have 200. You know, so I, I've still, yeah. That's still a lot of space, and you know, depending on how you want to present them, you know, do you yeah. put them on the wall? And no, because yeah. um, you need to keep them yeah. well climatized. Yeah, I, I don't have them out of the case because they're acoustic guitars, most of them, and um, mm-hmm. they're prone to getting damaged. You know, someone might bump them or mm-hmm. yeah, whatever, and the sun can damage them, so I keep them in the case. But it's one of my joys late at night is to play the guitar for an hour or so every night. Great. It's something that I need to aspire to. I think, you know, I've I've only ever had a little dabble at it and it's something that's on the bucket list. Make sure yeah. you do, Simon, because the one thing I notice about my guitar playing, as bad as it is, <laughs> you still have this sense of rhythm. Playing guitar, it really is... Uh, it goes hand in hand with the martial arts training, with the bricklaying. Laying bricks, you lay to a rhythm, right? To be efficient, you have to have a rhythm going. Doing karate is the same. To move with people or sidestep people, you have to be, you have to sense their rhythm. So guitar playing gets you in touch with your own rhythm. You know, it's really weird because, believe it or not, people have forgotten. Night and day is a rhythm. Okay, the four seasons, spring into summer is a rhythm. There's a rhythm of going from one season to the other, and it never changes. It never stops. Every clock ticks to a certain rhythm. It's inbuilt. It's everywhere we look. The plants drop their leaves to a rhythm, you know, in the the autumn. The animals, you know, um, wake up to a rhythm. Oh, it's time to get up out of the burrow that I've buried over the winter period. And, And that's one of the things we forget in our life is to don't go against the rhythm, go with it, because then you'll have less stress in your life. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Go with the rhythm, you know. Don't don't go against it because you can't beat it. It's too powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking Trust. how that applies in my own life, what <laughs> rhythms I need to move with and not against. <laughs> well, so you've got to find – that's the thing, though, Simon. You've got to find – you must look in oneself to find them, you know what I mean, like the rhythm. You know, it's mm. really weird. Yeah, even your breathing's to a rhythm, isn't it? When you think about it, hey, well, when the doctor puts the stethoscope, what is he listening for? The rhythm of your heart, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. The beat. Everything runs to a beat, and we and we forget. And everything else in life is trying to upset that rhythm, you know. And it's not not good for your health, especially your peace of mind. Okay, really mm. important. Yeah. Thank you again for all this great advice. I uh, I could talk to you for so much longer, but we do have to. Uh, move on with our fabulous five set of questions which is our uh, our standard five questions which we ask all our interviewees right Simon, did you want to kick us off today with Noel's first question sure thing yeah what's been the greatest piece of advice received and who told you okay well this goes back to my karate days the greatest piece of advice i've ever received was you fall seven times you get up eight life begins now and that basically means that we're all not perfect. Things may not go right. Our course we charted may completely do a 360 and not happen or we fall off the cliff. 
but you can always start tomorrow, a new course. So you just got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and look for the new path you want to find. And that's the greatest piece, and it's it's worked for me every time. Mm. Very good. Second question, who would you like to share a dinner with and why? Eric Clapton. Not only because he, I believe he's one of the greatest guitar players ever to hold six strings in his hand, but Eric Clapton had a similar life to me. He was raised by his grandparents. Um, he didn't know his mother until a long time afterwards. And I just, there isn't a lot of people who have been in that situation, but I know him and John Lennon are two people that have been. So I just would love to talk to him about the feelings of what it's like to know that your sister is your mother and all that sort of thing, mm. you know, just mm. to sit and ask questions and also talk about guitars because <laughs> if it, what he doesn't know about guitars isn't worth knowing, you know, mm. and I'll never forget that day I took, I saved up and the tickets were $450 at the Melbourne Tennis Centre. I took my partner, Shelley, we go along, and she falls asleep during Eric yeah. Clapton. I could have killed her. I could have killed her there on the spot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she never heard one. She was asleep at Eric Clapton. How could you do that? It's incredible. Yeah. Must have had a big day. Yeah, no, she just wasn't interested. As simple as that, mate. So, I can't, yeah, I'm going to tell him about that if I ever get to have lunch with him. Yeah. All right. Question three. What's your greatest non-work-related achievement? Oh, Probably, I think my partner, Shelley, I think, yeah, she's, apart from the standard answer, children, but I think my partner, Shelley, because she doesn't see me much during the week, especially of a night, and it's very hard to find someone who put up with that. So Shelley is, yeah, she's been a, a rock. She feeds me when I get home at 9.30 at night. She makes sure I'm ready to go to work the next day and all that sort of thing, as well as working herself. So she's been my greatest achievement. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great to hear that, Noel. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's lovely. All right, question four is favourite place to travel and why? Ah, uh, this is a beauty. Upstate New York. When you go up to the lake country, you cross the Manhattan Bridge and you head north, it's just the most beautiful country you've ever seen. So it's full of lakes and mountains, grizzly bears, moose, and just just beautiful. You wouldn't think you're in the USA. You could be anywhere else in the world, but it's, it's just beautiful. And there's lots of lakes with cabins right on the waterfront of the lake. And in the winter, the lakes, most of the lakes freeze over, if not all of them, so you can skate or whatever, drive your go-go mobile around them. And in the summer, you can ski and fish and, yeah, do water sports. It'd be nothing better. It's just fantastic. And I've been there a couple of times, and I just look forward to going again when I get some time. Yeah, that's the hardest question yes. to ask because of the, the answers and, and what it invokes in, in terms of thinking about oh. where you can travel to next. Yeah, well, who knows? But I, I think... <laughs> I'm planning on going to Tennessee next year and then maybe New York Fantastic. after that. So, yeah, hopefully we'll get a time to do that. 
Bring me yes. back a tea towel, Noel. Every person I know that goes overseas, I like to ask them to, if they see a nice tea towel, save one for uh-huh. me. Do you know I have a tea towel collection too at the shack? <laughs> I do. Same now. as you. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, but I use my tea towels. It makes me think of the person. <laughs> yeah. I will make sure I bring you one back from upstate New York, mate. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's okay. Question five. What is your go-to drink, red, white or other? Ah, unfortunately, I, I do drink wine when I go out for a meal. But most of the time, if I ever just relax, I like a, um, a Tasmanian whiskey on ice it's either lark distillery or sullivan's cove both on the rocks yeah sipping whiskey of course because they are rather expensive unfortunately you have excellent taste i've tried that's both a, of those so i uh, can't have fault you, really? you on either oh, of those good boy i'm very <laughs> pleased i can't wait to have one with you one day okay yes great. let's do that well, Noel, that brings us to the end of our chat today. I would like to thank you for joining us on the Good Drop podcast. I've absolutely loved every moment. Thank you for all your words of wisdom. I hope our listeners take a lot of knowledge from it. Oh, thank you, Anthony. Thanks for having me. It's been a privilege, okay? I really appreciate it. Okay. And my thanks as well, Noel. Thank you very much. It's been quite a great conversation. Really appreciate your time. That's all we have for today, listeners. Thanks again, and thanks for tuning in to The Good Drop. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Thank you. Bye, guys.